Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, September 19, 2021. It focuses on events which take place during Jesus' journey toward death. The message to all who will listen is despite our failings, we can find mercy from God and be used by Him for His glory and the good of others. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together and invite God's presence here that he would speak to us and encourage us through his word. Father, we thank you that you are here and with us. We pray that you would guide throughout this time, that your word would accomplish your purposes in our hearts and in our actions outside of this building, the way that we treat each other, pray that people would see your love in and through us and that they would know that we were your disciples because we follow you in that way. I pray today that we would be open to what you have to say to us, that your spirit would do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the years, I have more than a few times driven while dangerously sleepy. Yeah. I don't recall a time when the buzz of rumble strips woke me up, but I do remember more than once a little body twitch bringing me back to reality. Our family used to drive nonstop first from Indiana to Delaware and then from Kansas to Delaware to visit my wife's sister. In the middle of the night, I was always the one driving. I don't know, I drew this short straw or something. I don't think there were any straws involved other than I did drink a lot of Pepsi. And so sugar and caffeine would keep me awake as I was munching on corn nuts, my go-to stay awake snack. Anybody else have a stay awake snack? Yeah, anybody else corn nuts? All right, that's what keeps me awake. Anyway, if I don't have corn nuts, I tend to revert to an old habit that I've mostly overcome. I bite my nails. When I get tired, I start biting my nails, and I'm not sure that it helps any, but I do it. And my wife looks at me funny when the self-manicure, I guess that's what that is, (laughs) self-manicure happens. So on a recent outing with my family, I overheard my sister saying to somebody else, Mike never gets tired driving, which is not entirely true. But I do have less trouble staying awake now that I actually get a decent night's sleep most nights, and I'm pretty consistent about that. And we also drive less often during times when I get groggy. We don't take 24-hour drives anymore. We stop at a hotel room, even if it's just for three or four hours, being able to lay down and actually sleep makes a huge difference on safety on the road. And so... One more thing that I have to mention about nighttime driving, people who say that they'll stay awake and help you stay awake, (laughs) okay, they're not lying. They honestly want to do that, but I don't remember any time when a friend or family member or a coach on a bus or anybody who said, yeah, I'll help you stay awake. I don't remember any of them ever staying awake. I'm driving along and it gets quiet. I look over and they're... (laughs) drools going down the side of the mouth and I just keep driving. Anyway, it's just the way it happens. So as we jump into Matthew chapter 26 today, we're going to follow Jesus's journey as he goes step by step toward the tomb. And I want to encourage you to follow along. 
we're going to find that his closest friends struggle to keep their eyes open. When he's struggling the most with God's plan, when he could use some companions, they're dozing off and he's left alone. In the quiet of the garden, I can understand a little bit, but here we go. So let's read the story found in verses 36 to 46. Keep your eyelids peeled as you follow along. I'm sure that my voice has not yet quite lulled you to sleep, but here we go. Again, I'm reading Matthew 26, 36 to 46. That's a lot of sixes. I'm sure you can remember that. Here we go. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus the Son of God, the promised Savior, looks ahead knowing what's coming and wonders out loud if there is another way to accomplish the Father's will. Can you blame him? He's likely seen men on a cross dying in agony. I don't know how often murderers and insurrectionists were hung from the beams of a cross alongside the road, but it was often enough that a regular visitor to the city of Jerusalem had an idea of the torturous death awaiting them if they became enemies of the state. That was the purpose, to deter insurrection and rioting and rebellion. Anyone who knew that they were going to be executed in this way would be praying for rescue or, if they had the chance, running away. But Jesus' prayer isn't a simple, get me out of this plea. Though he asks if there's another way, he at the same time expresses his commitment to make salvation happen. If there's no plan B in the Father's playbook, he'll take the nails. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning to shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We read that last week. And there was no other way to save the world. So Jesus, after praying repeatedly for guidance, joyfully submitted to the Father's will, he endured unimaginable pain and suffering so that we could be saved. Now, when I think about what Jesus went through for me, gratitude, that's what happens in my heart. Thank you, Jesus, is the only reasonable response. He died a horrible death, let his body be broken, willingly shed his blood for you, for me, for the world. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Before we move on, can we pick on the disciples a bit? No, not really. I know what it's like to have a willing spirit but fail when push comes to shove, don't you? 
My flesh has been weak. I have wounded friends and missed God's will because I was tired or hungry or needy or disinterested or just plain rebellious. I would have fallen asleep just like they did. What about you? I know you want to think that you would have been alert when Jesus came back to check on you, but really, without divine assistance, you would have been snoozing with the rest of the guys. Your will would not have been strong enough to resist the pull of sleep, even though your friend was suffering and in agony. In our flesh, we are absolutely weak. We need God's help or we'll never get this following Jesus thing right. Paul said it so well in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 19 and 24 to 25. It says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Short time later, verses 24 and 25, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're empowered by God through faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome our flesh. We can only succeed in following faithfully if we time and time again seek God's help and submit to the Spirit's rule in our hearts. God help us. We cannot live righteously on our own. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. That's what Jesus said to Peter and to James and John. So with things settled in his spirit concerning the Father's will, Jesus is ready to continue on toward the tomb. Let's read the next installment of the story that Matthew gives us. I'm reading Matthew 26, verses 47 to 56. Eyes still open? Ears tuned in? All right, let's read. Starting at verse 47. While he was still speaking, that is while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. You've had friends do boneheaded things, right? You've wounded them too, though. 
you've patched things up over and over. I've done dumb stuff and had to apologize. I'm grateful for friends who have forgiven me. I'll bet it's getting really close with some of them to 70 times seven times. <laughs> it's the nature of friendship in a fallen world and it is God's love and his grace that keeps us coming back to each other and keeps bringing about peace, keeps pursuing that peace. So keep after it. But listen, can you imagine what it would be like to have a friend betray you as Judas does here? He's sealing Jesus' fate, sending him off to die. Now there's some indication a little later, and we'll get to that, in the narrative that he doesn't know that execution will result. But really, how could he not know that? The guys who had given him money to give Jesus up were his sworn enemies, were Jesus' sworn enemies. They hated him. We already have read numerous times in Matthew that they wanted him dead, that they were plotting for his death. Now, some have speculated that Judas's motives were okay, giving him the benefit of the doubt. They've suggested maybe that he thought that Jesus, if he was about to be arrested, would finally move from meek to mighty and that he'd throw off the Romans and retake the throne of Israel and lead the people out of captivity and Israel would return to its glory days. I don't know if this is what Judas believed would happen. How can I know what's in his heart or in his mind? I only know his actions led to arrest, trial, condemnation, and death. I know these things, and you know these things, and don't we want to despise him? I want to point fingers, but I can't because I have failed Jesus more than once in my lifetime. I was reminded this week of the words of a Christian rock anthem from my teen years. Petra sang these lyrics which confront and convict me. I wonder how it makes you feel when the prodigal won't come home. I wonder how it makes you feel when he'd rather be on his own. I wonder what it's like for you when a lamb has gone astray. I wonder what it's like for you when your children disobey. I wonder how it makes you feel when no one seeks your face. I wonder how it makes you feel when they give up in the race. I wonder what it's like for you when they willingly disobey. I wonder what it's like for you when they willingly walk away. It must be like another thorn stuck in your brow. It must be like another close friend's broken bow. It must be like another nail right through your wrist. It must be just like Judas's kiss. It's only by God's grace and his spirit's work in my life that I ever get anything right that I occasionally do what brings glory to God and honors Jesus is nothing short of amazing. <laughs> it's the same for you, isn't it? God have mercy on us. God help us. We cannot live for God unless he lives in us and through us by his spirit. So beyond Judas's traitorous deeds, look at these others. One of them, and we know from John that it was Peter, lashes out with a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the arresting party members. He is ready to defend his master or die trying, but Jesus rebukes him and tells him to put his weapon away. He reminds Peter and the others of this truth. All heaven is at his command. If this was not the Father's will, then angels would have put an end to this foolishness that was unfolding. Not a hair of his head would have fallen to the ground if it wasn't for the fact that it's God's will. If he resisted the soldiers, they could not have arrested him. It's only because God wills it that they have any power over him at all. 
Now, we talked about this last week. God's will is going to get done. When his enemies' plans oppose his, God's plans will come to pass. His will is always best, even when it appears not so wonderful. Remember, what's happening here is part of the unfolding of the work of God to bring about the salvation of all who will believe. Even dumb moves like Judas's can be used to bring about God's plan A. Aren't you glad? We make a few dumb moves, too. We don't have to force things, swinging swords at those who disagree with us or commenting on their posts on Facebook or yelling and screaming about what we think is right. We can trust God to bring about what he wants to bring about. So trust God and follow him. Pray when things get weird with others. No need to get angry and lash out at those who harm you or disagree with you. Just keep trusting, keep praying, and keep following Jesus with love. One more thing before we move on. Jesus predicted his friends would run, and they ran. All of them. But he wasn't alone. His father was still with him. There is no fright or flight in God. He doesn't desert us when difficulty comes our way. When you feel abandoned, forsaken, mistreated, maligned, betrayed, whatever it is, you are still loved, cared for, intimately known by the one who made you and saved you, and he's with you. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Those are God's words to his children when they face difficulties. What fears do you need to lay at his feet today? Even if you feel utterly alone, God is with you. Be at peace. Now, Jesus is going to need his father's peace as he takes the next steps toward the tomb. Things are ugly already. They're about to get even uglier. So let's read verses 57 through 68. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you. Under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Let me ask you a question. Who is presiding over these proceedings? It's not Caiaphas. It's not the teachers of the law. It's not the elders or any member of the Sanhedrin. They think that they're in charge, but they could do nothing if they were not allowed to continue according to God's plan. We've already covered this. I'm just reminding you. God is sovereign over every people, every nation, every ruler, every government, and he's going to bring about his will, even if his enemies oppose him. Jesus, knowing his Father is bringing about the salvation of sinners, is at peace. He answers not one of the false accusations. 
speaking up only to respond to the high priest's demand either to confirm or deny his position as Messiah, as Son of God. And Jesus' response in verse 64, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God? Yes. He is equal with and one with the Father, equal with and one with the Spirit. He will come again and judge the peoples of the earth. Those who have believed will be judged righteous. Those who have refused him will be condemned. Among the condemned will be the men who now accuse him of blasphemy and declare him worthy of death. Those who spit in his face in this courtroom and strike his face will receive justice from the one that they hate. He will mete out the punishment they deserve for rejecting him, for refusing to repent. But please understand this. If any one of these men would have in this moment repented of their sin, forgiveness would have been granted. If any later believed, they were saved. Did they? We know that a number of priests put their faith in Jesus after the birth of the church. It says so in the book of Acts. And I suspect that some of these men were among them. Perhaps we'll see them in heaven one day. We'll meet them and feel no animosity whatsoever toward them. We will receive them into our fellowship with joy because they are bright, shining proof of the largest of God's grace. He can save anybody, even a mess like you. But all who believe will be saved. If they can't be saved, then neither can I. Paul, one of the worst persecutors of the church, was rescued from sin. We read some of his words earlier. He pointed continually to the grace of God and held out the good news to all who would listen. God's grace is big enough to save each and every repenting man and each and every confessing woman. As we move through this narrative, watching Jesus walk step by step toward the tomb, we dare not forget the mercy of God, which saves the worst of sinners. His grace is great enough to save all. His ability to save is far greater than any of us imagine. This truth is important to all of us and to Jesus' friend Peter. The story which closes out chapter 26 does not speak well of the man. But as we read, remember this. We are not reading the end of this godly man's story. Just a little middle part. So let's read verses 69 to 75 now. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately this rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I completely understand Peter's reaction to this situation. He'd broken his promise to Jesus, his vow of fidelity. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. We read that last week. Those were the words we heard him speak. When he failed 
Peter realized his failure and he wept. I have sobbed when I mess things up with friends. I've been devastated when I didn't follow God's ways. I get it. It's at times like this I'm especially grateful for God's patience, mercy, and grace. If he shut the door on eternity the first time I blew it, I would be outside pounding on the door, waiting to get in, wanting to get in. Instead, I'm on the inside leaning on him to help me make things right, asking him to guide me through each and every new day. And I don't read the book of Lamentations very often, but there are words, a couple of verses from this woe-filled book that seem appropriate right now. There's hope in the middle of Lamentations, I'm telling you. We're going to read some of it. So if you have screwed things up and again and again, you need to hear what God inspired Solomon to say in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. Listen and find hope. Here's what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So today, when you woke up and rolled out of bed, God's mercy was brand new and fully available to you. The dumb stuff, the sinful stuff you did yesterday and you confessed to him and you said, man, I wish I hadn't done that. It's forgiven. God simply says to you now, go and leave your life of sin. Let's do it right today. Walk with me. Walk by the spirit. John, another of the 12, wrote these words to the church. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've repented and confessed your sins, you're forgiven, you're cleansed. Though we don't see it happen here in Matthew 26, Peter was forgiven by Jesus for disowning him three times. He was restored to a place of usefulness in the kingdom of God. He features largely in the book of Acts. We see him preaching and thousands of people coming to know Christ. Despite your failings, God is ready to use you for his glory. He can use people who fall asleep when they need to stay awake. He can use people who swing swords unnecessarily and chop off people's ears. He can use those who in a moment of panic deny him. He can do it because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I invite you to worship God, to confess your sins, to thank God for his mercy, whatever it is you need to do in the next few minutes. Respond to God. Take the things that you've heard. Talk with God about how they apply to you. Listen to his reply. That's what this time of silence is for each week. God bless you with a sense of his presence and a merciful word from him. Let's take just a few moments in silence this morning. God, thanks for your grace that we don't get what we deserve. That you don't punish us for sin. When we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we've got plenty of it on our own. Plenty of unrighteous things we do. God, I thank you that you can bring about peace for us with you, but also peace between us and others. Help us to be merciful toward one another, to love in this way. 
God, when we fail you, we thank you that you are faithful to us. When friends fail us, help us to be faithful to them. In eternity, all the slights and suffering and pain and all the difficulties we faced are going to fade to inconsequential things because of the glory that's to be revealed. We thank you that one day in heaven we'll no longer be tempted to sin, no longer want to sin, but we'll see opportunities to bless you and to bless one another forever. We're grateful for your presence here today, for speaking to us and encouraging us, and I pray, God, that you would bless us as we go from this place to be a blessing to others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close with the words from Hebrews 12 that I read at the end of our service last week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.